Hey church, Jason here. Uh, I'm very excited for you to tune into this episode. This is sort of a bonus conversation uh, that we're adding to the feed this week. If you uh, were in our gathering or listened to the podcast from this past Sunday, February 19th, you know that I did a long teaching exploration around theology, faith, and gender. Uh, Part of that conversation moved into a consideration of transgender identity. And I think it's really important um, anytime we do something like that, where we move into a particular experience that some people are having while the rest of us aren't actually a part of that experience. It's important that we, we actually talk to somebody who's having that experience. And so I'm so excited and thankful to share this conversation with you uh, with Mish Van Essen. Mish is a friend of Southland City Church. Uh, she's been with us on a Sunday morning, uh, though she's not like from our area. And um, she offered a really generous and kind conversation with me and gave me a chance to ask some questions about her story and experience. And I think that you'll find, um, however it is that you're processing this, however it is that you're thinking about these questions, that Misha's experience will be a really important part of your own consideration in this journey. So anyway, I encourage you to listen with an open mind and an open heart, and with a lot of gratitude to Misha, who was so kind uh, to share all of this with us. Uh, hey, good morning, Misha. Welcome to the Southland City Church Podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, I'm really thankful. Uh, we'll, we'll get to know you through all this. Uh, our church will get to hear a little bit of your story. Uh, mm-hmm. I have an apology out of the gate. I'm working through one of these head cold bugs, so I sound a little scratchy today. So I hope that's not too um, annoying or distracting. <laughs> well, I can't. I, haven't, I have seen uh, you just a couple of times. I heard you okay. speaking just a couple of times. So I still have to decide in my brain what your real voice is. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll see where you stand on the end of this. <laughs> um, Mish, will you um, tell us like where you are right now? Give us a little basic biography of your life right now. Yeah, unfortunately, all those questions are a little bit complicated, but I'll do my best to yeah, stay yeah. concise. I'm in Richmond, Virginia. Um, typically, when people hear Richmond, Virginia, they think, oh, that must be very racist there. <laughs> but it's a very progressive city, historically segregated, yes. So they have a lot of things to work through. That being said, it's very queer friendly. So mm. it's a very safe city for me. Um, so that's pretty cool. I work in management consulting. Um, for those who don't know what it is, I yeah, help us with that. Managers. <laughs> 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 so yeah, no, essentially what management consulting is, is that I consult leaders uh, and I specifically help them with leadership developments and how they can become a better leader or a resonant leader, how I call it in my jargon. Oh, oh, what kind of leader? Say that again. A resonant leader. A resonant. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Say a little more about that. Let's get that from you. What do you mean? Okay. So in the 90s, there's a bunch of people, specifically Daniel Goleman and Annie McKee. They came up with these, uh, they did not come up with it, but they worked on the concepts of emotional intelligence. And the interesting part about leading with emotional intelligence is that if you are in tune with your emotional intelligence, you are better able to understand where your team is at. So in churches, for example, you're better able to understand where your staff is, where your volunteers are, where your congregation are. So instead of adopting one leadership style, um, you juggle between multiple leadership styles based on the context. And that sometimes can include some dissonant styles, like a pace setting leadership style in a time of crisis, sometimes you need to adopt a, a pace setting leadership style. And when you're casting a new vision, for example, if you want to buy a new building, downtown South Bend, right. you that may want to, 
right? You yeah. may want to adopt a more visionary leader, leadership mm. style or a democratic leadership style because you want to have people's inputs. So it's a it's a very rewarding field. That's fascinating. We might have to do another episode about that sometime. Uh, <laughs> and you're also involved with the church uh, in the D.C. area. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. So I work for the Table Church part-time. Um, uh, yeah, what, what do I say about that? I'm the Director of Administration and Communication. Uh, I'm also a doctoral student where I specialize even further on leadership, specifically in faith organizations. And then we just are launching a new organization called The Resonance, which is my management consulting specifically geared to worth faith nice. spaces. Wow. So uh, you mentioned the church, and um, that's kind of how we know each other. Uh, that's because right. The Table Church and Southland City Church and other churches were gathered in Denver back in October for the Post-Evangelical Collective. Um, a lot of our people will know a little bit about that because we've talked about it. Uh, but actually, I'd be kind of curious to hear like how you would describe that. Uh, so yeah, we were standing outside of a restaurant and this guy that was wearing all black clothes started talking <laughs> with the pastor that I do work for, Anthony. <laughs> and then I heard the story, you always wear, you always wear black. Is this, is it a pragmatic choice or an aesthetic choice? A little, little bit of both. Yeah. Okay. Both. Yeah. <laughs> Part that of it is, is I just cool. like, like even in high school, I'd be like, I'd have like one black t-shirt and I'd be like always happiest on that day. And then when you're an adult, you're like, you know, you're allowed to make your own choices. That's <laughs> It's right. also a simplicity value. And um, I like the lack of decision fatigue and all that stuff too. So. Ooh, that's nice. I like, I like that. So yeah, no, that's, that's, that's how we met there was in my view. Right, no, I, I was asking about the post-evangelical collective though. To, to, like, I'm curious about how you would describe <laughs> what happened in Denver, but that's great. That's, so that was our meetup. Yep, that's right. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yes. I was perplexed. So you got to understand my education has been focused on liberal theology, like 19th century Chicago liberal. And later on, I got very much interested in post-liberal theology from George Lindbeck uh, by thinkers from Yale specifically. Um, so that's my theological background. However, I worked in churches that were very conservative, like complementarianism was a liberal value for those churches just, <laughs> as in like very conservative yeah, yeah. that's that's a, a way of prescribing gender roles right in churches yeah. theologically so for people who don't know that word yeah yeah got it yeah exactly they they decide on roles for men and women and women can have a complementary role to men but they cannot be in full leadership so you've had those two worlds like liberal theology and very conservative church that's where right then okay yeah, so my theology is liberal, but I work in very conservative worlds. And when I stepped, I stepped, this is a longer story, but I stepped down from ministry two years ago, and I kind of had no clue that there was an in-between. I thought it was, you're either conservative or you're liberal, and they hate each other. But I had no <laughs> right. clue that there was a movement evolving from evangelicalism mm -hmm. that would be really trying to figure it out, like what comes after evangelicalism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even though it was hard to be in the spaces as the only female presenting trans woman, mm -hmm. it was very encouraging at the same time because I was able to see so many people, hundreds of people, and they're all faith leaders that are saying, no, enough is enough. We're going to try to figure this out. We want a new 
flavor of church that is not associated with hatred. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's And that actually kind of leads to where I was hoping to go next, which is um, your own experience of identity. You talked about being the only uh, female presenting transgender person there. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit more about like who you are today and how you understand yourself? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a woman. That's how I describe myself. Um, technically, I'm a transgender woman. My pronouns are she, her. That's all the superficial stuff. Yeah. But on a deeper level, I would say I'm a daughter of God. And that was a big wow. realization for me. I sang a song from Hillsong Young and Free, I think. Uh, the heart of God. And there's this line in there that says, um, they say it's impossible to ever to ever move a sinner soul or something like that. But then the sentence that matters is, but my God says to the prodigal, my beloved one, you're welcome home. And I didn't hear gender in that, in those lyrics. And I had a hard time approaching God as a woman because mm. I'm like, God only likes me as a man. I don't know mm. what I was thinking. It was not mm -hmm. that I actually believed that, but that was systematically inherently in me. Mm -hmm. So that was a very big moment. So I would definitely describe myself as a daughter of God. Yeah, that's beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit about your like transition experience? And this is where I, you and I talked before we hit record. <laughs> Some of these questions might even not be phrased in great ways. I don't even know if that's a way to ask a transgender person about that experience. <laughs> but I'm really, yeah, like, I'm curious to go back in time um, before all of that. And yeah, how old were you when you began to experience some kind of disconnect between like the body that you had and that anatomically and, and the gender that you felt? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just to clarify for everybody that's listening, we, we talked about this beforehand. So I gave Pastor Jason full permission to ask anything Thank he you. wants to ask me. But yes, exactly. Don't go to a person in your congregation that you know that they're trans and say, hey, tell me about your story. Yeah. Um, that gets into clocking someone, which is a different topic, but, <laughs> but we, might, personal... we might ask you to educate us on that in a minute here. here so let's okay, hold okay, that. okay, 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 okay. Um, yeah, there's, there's multiple phases that uh, go into this. So um, like the earliest I can remember something that has to do with my gender was when I got a report card in, this is pre-K, I lived in the Netherlands at this point, and the teacher wrote, Mish is a very happy boy, but he likes to play with girls a lot. Like, hmm. super random. I remember that I thought that was a weird thing to say that as a out. four or five-year-old. That's yeah. one of my earliest memories of, hmm. is that weird or so? Why do they say, but he likes to play with hmm. girls a lot? That's so weird. Um, for the record, I refer to myself as he in the past. Uh -huh. um, it's part of my it's part of my identity and another memory that i have was when my grandma bought a dress for my cousin um and i was so frustrated like why mm. am i not getting a dress mm. so my grandma was like yeah um you can try it on if you want so she let me try it on she took a picture i still have that photo i cherish it a lot because in reality my family was not affirming whatsoever I remember one day asking them, what do you think of people that were born in the wrong bodies? And they would explain to me right away that that does not exist. 
And typically, whenever I talked about any form of queerness, like homosexuality or transgenderism, they would respond with disgust. So that's mm. my memory growing up. Um, but but I got into the foster system when I was 14, so I did not have to deal with that anymore. But it was still the 90s, <laughs> so it was still pretty hateful towards trans people. And I experimented a little bit. Also on my sexuality, I experimented with um, with that as well and experimenting with makeup, experimenting with clothing, but it never really uh, gotten into something until I was 29 years old when I went to therapy. But the problem was I went to therapy to say, hey, I want to transition. And for those who don't know, I'm 41, so that's 12 years ago. The problem was that I was also in my all-time low. I just went through a very rough divorce and uh, I had a couple of sessions and I realized that, yes, I want to transition, but my transition is requires all my attention and I am not in a good place. I need to be healthy first. I don't want to use my transition as a crutch for my happiness. Mm. Um, if I had words for it, then I would probably identify as non-binary around that time because I never really felt like a man. I knew that part. I never felt like a man. As a matter of fact, if people said, that's such a guy thing to do, Mish, I would get upset. It would physically hurt me. Mm -hmm. So, and this kind of like leads into the spiritual aspect as well. But in the years after I met Jesus, I was Jewish. I'm still Jewish, but mm -hmm. I just led services in synagogue, et cetera, et cetera. So, when I met Jesus, I went to churches. I met my current wife, and they knew that I was uh, that I sang and that I play an instrument. So they threw a guitar in my hands and said, "You lead worship." And in the in the years after that, I just got more and more stuck into the conservative church. That's how I ended up working for the conservative church. Yeah, got it. Even though I didn't didn't have the same a confession uh -huh. or same worldview as them. I just believed that I could work from the inside. However, it took its toll on me. I started getting super depressed. Uh, I had a one beard, a, a one foot beard. <laughs> like all good worship leaders. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. Tattoos and a beard. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it took quite a while for me to get out of that again. And when I stepped down from ministry, I was working at a church in Port Angeles, uh, and it was a logger town, mm -hmm. you know, pretty cut off from the world. It's on the Olympic Peninsula, which is two and a half hours west from Seattle, which most people think Seattle is facing the ocean. That's it. There's nothing there anymore, right? Okay, I, so. <laughs> literally, I literally was trying to visualize the map. I was like, wait, there's land west of Seattle? <laughs> exactly. That. There's a okay. whole peninsula there. Uh, that's so funny. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, I was a worship pastor there, and I tried to work from the inside, specifically on women's issues in, in, uh, in, in my case there. But that was a church that adopted complementarianism because they thought that they were being progressive by implementing complementarianism oh, wow. into a church, okay. which was not what I saw. And uh, yeah. and there was some other things. And I just really got 
sad and sick of the church, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I stepped down for ministry. That's that's the important part here. I just felt burnt out. Yeah, what can I say about that? You know, I went. We moved from the West Coast to Richmond, and Richmond, like I said earlier, is a very queer city. And when I came back right away, I shaved my beard. I expressed to my wife, like, I can't do this whole manly stuff anymore. I want to get more in tune with my gender. And that's rapidly led from one thing into another. So I had a conversation with my wife pretty quick when we moved to Richmond, which is almost two years ago. Like, are you okay with me going on hormones? Wow. Uh, So there's always been something in me that knew I am not male. But what complicated it was not necessarily my identity and me knowing what my identity is. What complicated it was faith expressions around me. I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I would not. I, I don't like to use the word re- religion because I think religion is a good thing, and there's a pushback against the word religion. So I'm just going to say faith expressions. Let's put it yeah. that way. The faith expressions of other people really affected me, mm-hmm. and that kind of ruined, if you will my trust towards christianity yeah um so i just like a thought and a question about as you're sharing that the first thought i had was you were talking about being young and i forget quite how you said it but you talked about asking parents or grandparents about like other people maybe who um are queer or, or transgender or or yeah, man married to a man or i forget how you were talking about all that but i can just imagine you as a kid you're kind of floating this question out there and it sounds like you're asking about other people, but I don't know how much of you is, I don't know if all of you is aware that you're also asking about yourself or some part of you is aware of that, but then to kind of see the reaction <laughs> that it gets. Yeah. I can just imagine the pain and the fear and that that would be like a really hard thing for a kid. Yeah. I mean, it makes me emotional when I think about it because that's definitely true. The way that we talk about sexuality with our children like we have a season two podcast about it right now that we are only talking about this topic. The way we talk about our kids will affect their worldview, will affect how they're going to view their own identity. And in my case, if it's a queer identity, that's going to make things very complicated. That's going to make things very uncomfortable. So I still, to today, even though, even though I've, 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 uh, I messed around with a boy, if you will. I, so like I said, I messed around with, with, with all kinds of sexuality and gender uh, identity, all those things. Even though I am super queer, if you will, I still have visceral responses when I see things on TV, mm. when I hear things they still affect me to today. I'm 41 and I'm very, very in tune with my gender and sexuality right now. Yeah. So for example, if I see a gay scene on TV, my first thought is like, oh, they went for that. Instead Uh, of like, oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. So it's interesting to see how much that affects. And I think this is something that people don't understand or realize or wherever that falls on that spectrum. Because I believe parents want the best for their kids. Right. My parents, even though I didn't grow up with them after I was 14, I don't have contact with them anymore. They wanted the best for me. They, they're not out there to hurt me or to, they didn't bring me into the world to damage me. They had no clue what they were doing. They got these awkward questions from their, they saw, thought, son. Yep. And it turns out to be that I was born in the wrong body or whatever that medically means. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty complicated. So this question, I know it's like, um, I've, I've been wondering a lot about the challenge of like a cisgender person trying to understand a transgender experience. And I, wanna, I, don't, I don't know at the end of the day how much understanding at a deep level will happen because I've not lived inside your body. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, um, I think a lot of us are, we're trying to get closer to understanding. Right? Yeah. We're curious. And so like a question that has stood out to me for a little while and your own story brought it to mind for me again is, uh, let me take a step back. Like one thing as I've been working on understanding gender and the way it works in the world and the theological histories behind it for better and for worse. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I've been struck by is the sort of stereotypical masculinity, you know, yeah. what it even means to be a boy or a man that that itself has been kind of weirdly sort of taken in very like superficial or toxic directions right so yeah um so i wonder about like i even had a conversation with a member of our church last week who um straight cisgender guy but he was talking about one thing i was always confused about was like i don't i'm not into all the things that men are supposed to be into like in the very stereotypical yeah. Yeah. sense right exactly and this person was saying i'm kind of more artistic so this kid was saying, or this guy was saying, when I was growing up, some people like maybe thought I was gay because they saw that I right. didn't fit this very particular mold. So I heard him saying, you know, I, I think I'm cisgender and I identify as male, but I also had to find a definition of male that was maybe less superficial and less immature than the ones that were operative. I heard you saying, you didn't, I, some of these kind of expressions of male didn't, I, didn't uh, right. connect for you. I think I'm wondering... Do you have any idea of like what the difference is? Because these are both saying male as it's presented in culture doesn't feel right. like me. Does right. that make sense as a question? Absolutely. There is definitely some things to unpack there. First is the gender spectrum. Mm -hmm. I believe in a gender spectrum. And the world typically believes in a binary. Yes. So... I don't have that binary understanding of gender at all. Um, so with that being said, I am very feminine. Mm -hmm. I like to glam up. I like to wear dresses. I like to present as feminine as possible. I just like to pamper myself and I like to hang out with my girlfriends and drink margaritas. That's <laughs> that's what you would typically in this culture maybe identify with things that women do. I like those things, but I don't think that they are necessary female things. I think they're mm -hmm. feminine things, uh -huh. um, but I don't think that they fit within like, this is what women should do. So one is gender spectrum and what we believe about the gender, gender spectrum. If we believe in a binary, this, this friend of yours is in trouble right? because there's roles associated with the binary. Uh, 
terms that we are probably familiar by by now with by now, like toxic masculinity, or specifically um, butch women. All these things are in my brain gender expressions. So, in my case, that the belief of a gender spectrum came before the realization that I was also anatomically in the wrong body. Right. Um, and, and that's a very tough concept to explain because we don't have words for it yet. Science is not this far, uh, this, this advanced in it. For example, we understand intersex in the world. We know not, that there's... Not all of our listeners will, though. So help <laughs> us with that. Real quick. Okay, okay, okay. So quick history on intersex. Intersex are people that have been born with ambiguous genders. Um, uh, I, I want to highlight it. There's very derogatory words used for intersex people uh, that we should not use. Like, for example, a term that people often use is hermaphrodite. That's a very, very offensive term. So <laughs> just, just want to throw it out there. But that's typically what people think of when there's intersex people. So that could mean that it's a completely male-presenting person from the outside, but uh, this person may have a uterus. Mm -hmm. So it's not the classical propaganda, if you will, that I would say when people think about intersex people. It could literally mean that they uh, that they have uh, a testosterone production in their body that is uh, within the cishet male region, even though they are born as a female-looking person. Mm -hmm. So this gets really complicated really quickly because the whole conversation about, oh, there's only two genders already falls short there. There's a bigger population of intersex people than people think. There's intersex people that don't even know that they're intersex, if that makes sense. Yep. So we are just grasping what that means. So you're born in the womb, you have XX chromosomes, and at some point you get a Y chromosome and that decides that you're male, anatomically, biologically. Um, so what happens with, with intersex people? Like religious people in the past have said that's a, some sort of mistake or whatever right but that that gets problematic especially when we talk about creation and when we talk about things like sanctity of life like okay mm -hmm. let's have this this conversation so why i'm bringing up intersex because i'm not i am not intersex however i think that there is a bigger overlap than we think we understand when we see physical differences like somebody is born um with a male body but with a uterus we we see that and we understand okay there's ambiguity there. Yep. But what we don't understand if that ambiguity is psychological, mm -hmm. gender dysphoria in my mm -hmm. case, mm -hmm. where not only did I not like being called a man, so I okay, I reject the binary and people don't call me man anymore. That's great. But also not understanding my body, not feeling at home in my body, feeling that parts of my body are alien to me, and getting that confirmation after some surgery, after hormones, getting some confirmation that that those um, I call them anomalies, yeah. you know, were actually alien to my body. I recognize my body more and more 
as I go. And when the testosterone production stops in my body because of hormone replacement therapy. So for those who don't know, uh, a hormone regimen for people that have been born as a man, but transition to uh, a woman uh, exists of things like testosterone blockers, like estrogen or progesterone. I have all three. Well, I don't have testosterone blockers anymore because I had surgery. But the when you block off the testosterone production, something happens to your brain. We, we can all understand that our brain is affected by hormones, right? We see yeah, yeah. we see that in in real life every single day. So the same thing goes goes for me. The moment that my body stopped saying you are male, mm-hmm. I felt peace in my body as well. Uh, I hope all this kind of makes sense. No, I think that's a really really interesting the way you just said that. Can can you say that again? You said the minute your body stopped telling you you were male, right? Yeah, yeah. So the minute that my body stopped telling my psyche, if you will, that I am male, I felt at peace in my body. I started recognizing my body. Yeah. I think that's, that's, (laughs) I think that, I I mean, like I said, I think this journey of understanding is is pretty incremental for most of us. But to me, that's just a moment of your experience that I've not ever heard quite described like, like that. And I think that's really, um, that helps me a little bit like, oh, wow, I, I can imagine then because of that, I can imagine why, um, I mean, you're out there on social media, we'll say this at the end too, but you're on social media, people should follow you. You're doing a lot of work to help create a world that uh, is safe and honoring for transgender people. And I can imagine how that moment was probably one of the moments that helped you understand like the virtue in your journey. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mm, can you rephrase that question? I, it's I, not really a question. Me, it's just an observation that, yeah. um, that to, to have that experience where you realize finally that this sort of war between your body and your psyche had come mm, to yes, an yes, end. Yes, yes, yes. And that you felt that peace. I can imagine how that moment would propel you into not just living your right. own life, but trying to help others who are experiencing the same dysphoria find that same peace. Yeah, yeah. And that's mostly because the conversation is going the wrong way. You know, the conversation is going towards, uh, for example, fear in politics or within religion. It goes towards salvation as if my salvation is dependent on my gender. Right. Right. So the conversations are going towards the right, the wrong places. I don't want to be part of those conversations. I want to be part of conversations where churches like yours are actively seeking to make their congregations a safer place for people like like me, specifically people like me who, um, as you can imagine, in the last two years with the political climate, it's very scary to just be alive. Yeah. Um, and I think we all agree that the church should be the safest place yeah. for any single person. Yeah. And I would even go further, I'd say, and especially for people who are made unsafe in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Can you, I'm curious, um, could you tell us, uh, this is, maybe this intersects with your uh, gender journey, but maybe it's, there's a lot to say about it that, that's independent of that, I don't know. But I'm curious to hear more about just how you encountered Jesus. So uh, you're Jewish, which again, this is so <laughs> rudimentary for people, right? But I hope people understand, <laughs> Jewish can be an ethnic identity and a faith commitment, right? And those that's are two right. things that may or may not interact, right? Uh, yeah. You're Jewish. You're from the Netherlands. Are you, are you born in the, the Netherlands? 
Yes, yes, yes. So, um, and and you're Christian, or well, I don't even, I don't know if Christian is the word that you would use, but you, yeah, you and no, Jesus, like you found Jesus, he found you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my, everything intersectionality is such a big part <laughs> of my identity right now because I'm also Indonesian. Um, so, on that part, on the on the Indonesian part, being born in the Netherlands, the Netherlands colonized Indonesia and use Indonesian people to colonize the rest of Indonesia. It's it's a mess. <laughs> and then my Jewish identity being a European, yeah. um, that means automatically that we have a crazy, crazy, uh, that we have a super lucky story about how we survived the Holocaust. In, in my case, my grandmother lived in a blue-collar neighborhood and a neighborhood ganged up on the Nazi officer that tried to take her away. And wow. the Nazi officer must have had a bad day because he just left. Wow. And I don't even know if this story is true or has some, you know, this is what's been told to me. But yeah, yeah. the fact remains every single Jew that lives in the Netherlands with a country that has been 75% of the Jews have been like exterminated. That's yeah. the term that they unfortunately used. Um, it's It's very fortunate to be alive. And then the intersectionality of me being a woman uh, and a trans person, there's a lot of intersectionality there. Exactly. And yes, yeah. like you said, I don't call myself Christian because I am Jewish. I used to struggle with it big time because I'm like, okay, but I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That makes me a follower of the Christ. So that makes me Christian. But then again, how can I be grafted into myself? I don't understand <laughs> what Paul wants from me. Isn't he Jewish to start with? This is so right. complicated. So yes, yes there's can like a lot of stuff. <laughs> Quick note for listeners. Um, Mish mentioned intersectionality. Zach Gillis and I last week just released an episode on the South and State Church podcast where Zach gave us a nice sort of introduction into intersectionality. So if that word sort of rang a bell for you, go back and listen to me and Zach, and Zach will educate you a bit. So you got like a primer <laughs> uh, back there. But Misha, yes. I'm curious, like, how did you, where did you find Jesus or when did he find you? What's that story? Oh, yes. Um, like I said earlier, I was mostly just Jewish. However, to make things even more complicated, I was born into a Pentecostal commune in Amsterdam. <laughs> the, story, <laughs> the story just keeps going. Wow. So, yeah. And in 1987, we moved to Israel because my mother um, wanted to identify more with my father's uh, Jewish roots. My mm -hmm. father found out that he was Jewish. They wanted to all move to Israel like good Jews. But my mother was not Jewish, which means all of us kids were not Jewish. Because so in, in Jewish, it, 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 run, it runs through the mother's line, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And the uh, so we went to Israel. My mother went through a big uh, coming out process. It's called coming out, just like coming out <laughs> with a queer person, which is kind of fun. But um, so if you become Jewish, it's called coming out. Uh, and that's a very long process that took years. That's just a thing they do in Judaism, specifically in Orthodox Judaism. Um, so that took a long time. Me and my brothers all went to Orthodox Jewish school. Uh, studied the Torah <laughs> at at a young age, and yeah. that's where I got my Jewish identity. We all got, uh, we all became Jewish around 1989. All of us got circumcised at a later age because circumcision is not a thing that we do in in the Netherlands uh, at birth. 
Can I talk about circumcision on this you can. You podcast? Can. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we got circumcised, et cetera, et cetera. So I was in my formative years, had more attachment to Judaism. Mm -hmm. My brother will give you a different story. In his formative years, he was more attached to Pentecostal Christianity because he remembers the commune better than I did. I was like one year old. I, I have no connection with it. But yes, when I went into the foster system, I kind of like said goodbye to everything until I really reconnected with my Jewish roots, started, uh, I studied Jewish liturgy, started leading synagogue services. And yeah, that's kind of like the short of like my Jewish identity. But mm -hmm. um, one day I met a woman and she challenged me to become, she challenged me to preach to Jesus. Um, I don't know if you have time. I can I can share that story, but um Yeah, we got time. Yeah. Yeah, okay, let's do it. I mean, she she asked me for a little bit of context, I was into her and she was into me, but we knew it was not gonna work. I'm Jewish and I'm specifically not liking Christians, and she's Calvary <laughs> Chapel Christian. Okay. <laughs> it's a very particular so, brand of Christian. Very yeah. particular brand of Christian. Very yes, very particular brand. So I said it would be so much easier if you would not be Christian, then we could just date. And she was like, It would be so much easier if you were Christian, then we could right. just date. Right. So I was like, yeah, it's never going to happen. She's like, well, don't brush it off. Why don't you go pray tonight to ask Jesus to come into your heart? It's like, I'll do that, <laughs> but I'm just going to look at the, at the ceiling, yeah, uh, not into my heart, to show, that for Jesus to show himself to me. Okay. Uh, yes. that, that was the prayer. Jesus, show yes, yourself. Yes. Okay. Show yourself. So I literally looked at the ceiling, like, Jesus, show yourself. I almost forgot. I almost went to bed and forgot, but I'm a... I'm a, at that moment, man of my word. So <laughs> I did that. And every single day, miracles happened. Oh, like wow. on Monday, a colleague came to me who's been a colleague and before that, a student with me for years. And we would go outside, smoke cigarettes. And she all of a sudden asked me, why did Jews not believe in Jesus? Well, of course, this is day one. I'm thinking nothing of it. But right. this kept on happening over and over again. Another colleague saying, Mish, I found a church. I'm so happy. Um, I lived, I was just going through a divorce at that time. So I lived in a studio apartment. Um, it's it's the same time as my old time low. It definitely coincided. Um, but uh, my landlord asked me to fix their guitar and I knock on their door, but the landlord was not home. So his wife opens the door, but she is, they are Dutch reformed. Oh, wow. So, it's the most conservative brand of Christianity uh, you've ever witnessed. It's you do not talk with the opposite sex, opposite okay. sex period. However, she invited me in and explained the gospel to me and gave me a Bible. Wow. Randomly. Right. Or I had band practice that same evening. This is a Wednesday evening. Um, so this is, Four days after I gave that prayer, I had band practice and we were covering a song by Under Oath. Mm -hmm. I don't feel very receptive anymore. A song is about, you know, getting to the end of your wits. But I, we were recording it, so I wanted to make sure that I get the lyrics right. And I'm like, oh my, everything. This is about <laughs> me. Uh -huh. uh, and then the most bizarre part is... That Thursday, so five days after my prayer, I went to my work and my uh, my supervisor said, Mish, you are in a very bad place in life. Mm. 
I was a high school teacher at that time. You cannot teach. You need to go home and stay home until the end of the year. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I kind of like expected because I was already on administrative leave because I was having a bad time for a month or so. I thought this conversation is going to be about me getting back to work. And it's the Nellon. So it was still paid. It, it had nothing mm -hmm. to do with finances. It was more an ego thing. Mm -hmm. Ugh, and I remember that morning, I woke up with a headache and I took paracetamol on a, without eating anything. I don't know, the concoction really messed me up. And I threw up during that interview with my, my supervisor. It was a terrible, terrible morning. Anyway, I went home and I fell asleep and I had a dream. I call it a vision now because I was in a building with that girl that challenged me and I saw a room full of people that were happy and she ran straight into it and hugged everybody and they seemed to have a great time. So I want to go into as well. And I see um, I cannot enter. Something is holding me back. So I'm walking away a little bit sad and behind me, I hear footsteps hmm. and it's my sister-in-law. It's a dream, random, right? right sister-in-law, like everything is happening at the same time. And I see my sister-in-law uh, crying. I'm like, what's going on? And I try to give her a hug, but, but my elbow grazes her boob. Again, I comment warning here. My elbow <laughs> grazes her boob and she's like, I'm liking this. And then for a split second, it's like, yeah, I like this too. But then I snap out of it. I'm like, what is wrong with you, Mish? This is your brother's wife. Yeah. Um, so... I run outside of the out, out of the building, jump into my car, and I'm bawling. I'm crying. Mm. And I keep on saying over and over and over again, I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it. Until in real life, my phone is starting to ring. And I pick up the phone, and it's my supervisor. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling her, Sasha, I'm not feeling that well i just woke up from a from a nightmare so can i call you later mm -hmm. and she said you know what i'll keep it short you're worth it oh my word <laughs> all i'm saying how can you say no to that yeah this is one, <laughs> this is one of those be careful what you pray for moments right <laughs> jesus go ahead show yourself what, what show, you got show, what show. you got yeah. what you got you yeah, exist yeah. show yourself oh wow everything yeah how, how old were you then uh, this, uh, I was 29, yeah. March 17th, 2011. Yeah. Wow. That's an incredible <laughs> story. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. I, I think one yeah, of the reasons I'm, I'm curious about that is, you know, one move that we can make is to ask uh, people who've been marginalized for one reason or another about their experience of marginalization. I think that's really mm -hmm. important. But I think the other move that we want to keep making is also like, but, but also be the preacher for a moment, right? Be, be the mouthpiece that we turn to, to learn about our faith, which includes the way that we interact with one another. But also I just, um, part of my learning journey has been not just to ask friends about what is it like to be black or what is it like to be trans or what, whatever, but right. also be like, hey, right. preach to me for a moment because I just keep finding that the way that God speaks through these friends of mine is um, so moving to me. And um, I think that, and I, I won't preach the sermon because that's a whole other thing, but that's a lot of what I see going on <laughs> in the New Testament actually is that, that those yeah. who are sort of at the center of things keep meeting God through those who are on the margins of things. 
and it's it's sort of this That's inverted nice. relationship, right? And so I just love. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. That's just um, beautiful and, and and profound and, and really moving. Yeah, you're yeah. worth it. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I, I am worth it. You're worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to, to to quickly say that how personal that delivery was from God, because I'm a super rational human being when mm. it comes to faith expression. Not in life. I'm. I'm a bit complete opposite, but okay. when it comes to faith expression, I'm super rational. So if this would have happened at a Carrie Job concert, I would have <laughs> rationalized it later and said, ah, right. everybody, altar call. Right. No. Like that experience was, was engineered for this or whatever. Exactly. God exactly. knew perhaps that you would, you would discount that. But the yeah. way this came to you is harder to discount. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I was alone. <laughs> Nobody was there. Yeah. Um, I texted my supervisor afterwards, like, are you Christian? And she's like, ha ha, wait, no way. I'll take my fan to hell. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're like specifically not Christian. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's amazing. Oh. Um, well, hey, I know I want to honor your time and um, uh, we could probably talk for hours. I did have one other big question for you and one substantial thing I want to ask you, which is just... Um, Anything you want to say to us, both um, as individuals and as a church community, hmm. about, like, give us a little bit of education on what it would mean um, to be a safe place for transgender people, what it means to love well with our transgender family members, family, I mean, in the big sense, you know, of church and world. Um, anything you want to say about that? What's, where, where would you start? Could you give us a few pointers in that direction? Yeah, Absolutely. Who has a big question though? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks for being committed to to creating a safe space. That's already huge. Like some people wonder, hey, can I ask Mish to talk? Is that tokenization? But but the big difference is, of course, like one is an inquiry, like I want to know more, and the other one is like, oh, look at us, we have a trans person on our podcast. Mm -hmm. That's tokenization. So mm -hmm. it's it's a fine line, but I think. Uh, Y'all are doing a great job in 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 walking that fine line. It's always a fine line to see the individual versus the gender identity. In my case, yeah, or or how people identify race wise. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Like the intersectionality talk. People call me white all the time mm -hmm. <laughs> until I tell them, oh yeah, you know, I'm Indonesian. Yeah. But so yeah, it's fair and and welcoming for me. So. What what I want to say is that there's there's a couple of levels, like on a leadership level yep. and on a congregational level, and then maybe some general advice. Yeah, great. So on a lead leadership level, like safety is such a huge concern because there is a 50% chance that trans skin will get harassed. 10% mm. of that is violent. Mm -hmm. Um I've received death threats. Um, I've received the most obscene hate. I've received chasers, if people are not familiar with that term, that people that specifically follow me because I am trans mm. um, and have been sexually harassed, like in my face at the streets. People like this happened a couple of weeks ago. People said, how, how do I become a tranny like you? Mm. And blowing air kisses and do you want to hang out and trying to 
make some advances at me. Um, it's not safe to be a trans person. So safety is of the utmost uh, concern for for me. And and we are not one community. We are right. one community, but we are also not one community yeah. as in like, I'm a little bit more in the public spotlight. So this right. may not be true for everyone. Mm -hmm. If you live in in DC and you just mind your business, maybe you never notice any any hatred besides the political climate or the news mm -hmm. stories, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I'm thinking... I'm thinking about super practically for leaders, there's some things that can be done. Like for example, um, and I wonder, I wonder what your thoughts on this as well are. Like, for example, when you think about a welcoming team, typical non-traditional churches have a welcoming team outside with their t-shirts. <laughs> but to me, that looks like they're blocking my escape routes. Um. What if it's not safe? inside how do i get outside because there's these people blocking the way so mm. it's it's a super small thing is like open a side door so, or or have the welcome team inside I, I i don't know if this was if if this is planned in your church but when i went to your church there were some people outside but i got greeted inside which felt much mm. safer to start with interesting um so i don't know if that was planned or some people didn't do their job and it's like you're going to like Hey, you know, like, sometimes you... at South and City Church, we've succeeded by accident, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's better to be intentional. So this is a good note. Yeah. Yeah. Don't rely on luck. I say that yeah. often. That's right. Yes. But another thing is like a rubric for sermons. This is, this came up a lot of time because sermons and announcements and worship songs can damage very easily. Uh, and I'm not talking about the gender identity of God. That that is an interesting conversation to have, but that should be a conversation. Okay. So, I I think the trans people and and for those who don't know, non-binary people fall under the trans umbrella. So, um, they are also your trans skin. Um, so they they should probably be included in that in that conversation. But specifically, sermons. I've I've. Uh, I've heard some very awkward sermons in my life. And I'm like, wow, a rubric would be so easy. If you don't have the manpower, if you will, to, to have a second reader, a, a rubric is like, is this, is this story, like, for example, the story about Philip and the eunuch yep. is a great story about preaching. So Philip, Philip as a Hellenist Jew being marginalized from the Hebrew Jews, <laughs> reaching out to somebody that's from the rest of Africa, essentially, right? Ethiopia, reaching out to somebody that's marginalized. It's a beautiful story for our church today that <laughs> should be told over and over again. However, how you tell that story is important. So when we say eunuch, does it come with the caveat like, well, eunuch is kind of like not a nice place to be in because people <laughs> were typically forced into that role. Um, so when we say eunuch, we need to be sensitive about that or, or specific references like Deuteronomy 23 states something about eunuchs that I will not say out loud here because it's brutal, but I've heard sermons where they just read verbatim what Deuteronomy said and it's terrible. It, mm -hmm. it breaks my heart. And I've seen queer people literally call me and said, I'm never going back to the church anymore. Mm. So. It may be theologically sound, mm -hmm. but is that the purpose of the sermon? So I'm I'm just thinking very practically. Sometimes there's very easy 
tools to be put in place that you can create with the with the trans community like what would what would you absolutely not want me to say right or what caveats do you want me to say every now and then mm -hmm. when i say god the father that that's how i view god for example i i don't view god as god the father but when you say god the father that that's fine and then if you add the caveat that's how i view it but if you view god as a mother that's fine as well or something like that mm -hmm. wherever you're comfortable theologically so that's kind of like the leadership part and yeah. congregants is actually a much bigger job if that makes sense because this is very practical like is our welcoming team aware right, of, right, right. of this and that is our sermon like oh rubric done right it's actually it's actually easier than it looks especially if you dare to ask questions like you do um congregationally boom this is where it's more <laughs> what much wider because yeah. if you don't live in these spaces often enough um that's when it gets hard but for example if you have a men's and a woman's bible study say your church that says no we still want that mm -hmm. include trans woman in a woman's bible mm -hmm. study mm -hmm. if you're debating uh all gender bathrooms mm -hmm. are you also thinking about that people like me don't want to go to an old gender bathroom with mm -hmm. men I want to go to a woman's bathroom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the com the conversation is not as 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 easy as that. Um, or if there's something going on, like two weeks ago, there was a big political campaign from one politician that specifically started off with God states that there's only man and female, and we will fight to make sure that this ridiculousness goes away. I'm I'm paraphrasing here. That's the time to check in with your trans kin. That's the right. time to text right. them mm -hmm. and say, hey, do you need me to come over? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's even people that know my opinion, that's still the hardest things for me to, to find within a community. Like sometimes people see my posts on Instagram and I say, look at this. Something terrible happened. There was a shooting. There was some legislation that passed. And afterwards, when I speak to people in person, I sometimes hear, okay, yeah, I'm so sorry that that happened, but I don't, I don't get the response right away. Or sometimes I get terrible, terrible messages on my, on my reels on TikTok or Instagram. Mm. And I get la later on, people would say, I'm so sorry, but they don't step up on the comments themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't mm -hmm. show me support then. So it's those small things that, make a big impact and then lastly there's like more generally where i would love the church to go is that what you have pastor jason is very rare i was visiting a family like about an hour and a half south of where you live and they have a non-binary child and realized that going to church has kind of like damaged their relationship because it was a very black and white church, a very binary church. That is so terrible, <laughs> you know? And these stories are not rare. It will happen more and more when people start getting a broader understanding of what the binary means or what rejecting the binary means. Yes, at, at some point, more generally, what do you do as a minister of the kingdom of heaven 
are you going to focus on expanding your church in South Bend or are you going to say, okay, I'm going to put a satellite church 45 minutes south because we have the means, but that way people can commute in or, or whatever, right? I know this is like big vision talk sure. and I have no clue what I'm saying, but yeah, I, I would be, I would love to see solutions to, to reach the non-urban uh, regions of, in your case, Indiana. Yeah. yeah. I, I know that we hear <clears throat> because of a number of theological and cultural issues, we, we really often hear from people who would maybe say something like South and city church is like the closest thing I have to a church or it's the, but, but I live so far away or I'm in another state. Do you know of a community? And I yeah. feel like the good news is there are more and more communities that we can refer to, but there's yes. still, I still know it's very rare. And I, yeah. I take your point too, that like they tend to be in more like urban settings. And so, um, now I'm kind of speaking to our, our church family for a moment. Church, you might've heard just last week's or two weeks ago sermon. We kind of talked about how our team has been discerning. How are we being called to show up in light of that? Mm. And we don't have a lot of the answers, but we are trying to pay attention to the fact that um, there's people out there in the world who are just kind of spiritually homeless That's for right. a lot of really painful reasons. And um, we, we can't handle, we're not the singular solution to that. We're one church. But we do want to be faithful. We want to step up. We want to live up to what we're called to. And some of that means taking seriously the fact that um, churches like SBCC, it, it, what we're learning is they they matter for people in a lot of places, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. You matter so much because you're one doing the work of God. I have zero qualms saying that. But also... It is just not a popular position to be in. Yeah. It's culturally not a popular position to say, you know what? We're not going to go ambiguous in this. We're going to say we are affirming. And guess what? We don't have a lot of trans people in our congregations, but we are fully, fully open and fully accepting. It's just not a popular place to be in. Yeah. So it it could lose you relationships it could lose you partnerships it could lose funding so just yeah, and it, and, it, and we have and it has yeah that's, yeah that's real. yeah yeah, yeah I, thank I, you for that well i you know i i take that to be a chance for us sort of organizationally to stand in solidarity with the people who have like my point being like if if i feel like i've lost speaking gigs or south and city church has lost network over some of these stances then i think about yeah, but how much does a person lose when they come out? You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's a good chance for us yeah. to, to stand together, right? Yeah, it's part of my doctoral studies. I focus a lot on the cost of allyship, mm. and that's that's it. To to be an ally is not to say we see you, Mish. I love that. Sure, please, please do that. <laughs> right, but sometimes it means leaving your community because you cannot invite your trans friend to that community. Mm -hmm. What does that say about you if you cannot invite your trans friend to your church community? So to have a place where you can invite your trans friend <laughs> to your church community is, is huge. Mm -hmm. It's the exception, not the rule. This makes me think of um, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, first of all, I take peace to mean people who join God in doing really hard work in the world toward healing and toward justice. Um, yeah. 
but then he says you'll be called children of god and i used to think that that was really um sentimental and beautiful and now I, I understand that differently now that maybe one of the reasons jesus says that is he knows that you're, you might lose other family right right but that you'll what you'll gain will be better because you'll gain a deeper experience of your own belonging with god and Mish, this brings me back to what you said earlier i asked you kind of how you identify and you yeah. talked about this very intersectional stacked identity that you walk around with but then you said daughter of god and i felt not just the truth and the beauty of that but i felt the yeah i felt that that came from a really deep place inside you when it's when yeah you it's it was an as big faith um understanding as me meeting jesus was mm -hmm. and i just told that story that was a pretty big big encounter this yeah. second encounter with god was like it's okay yeah like i know that there's been some changes <laughs> yeah. i still see you mish yeah you used beautiful. to be my son yeah. okay now you're my daughter no questions asked yeah well mish i'm so grateful um i'm sure a lot of listeners are going to want to be able to follow you or learn more from you what are some ways they can do that um, well, starting Friday, the 17th, they can always check out our website, jointheresonance.com. Beautiful. Um, I'll just say real quick for listeners, Misha's referring to the past Friday. This is coming out after that. So if you're confused. Ah, that's yeah, right. Great. So last Friday, as of yeah. last Friday, <laughs> you can find us on jointheresonance.com. But that's more like partnerships on, on, on business level. So like mm -hmm. if you're a church and you want to like start a relationship with us, go for us. We provide workshops and training and we even have online courses that, that are pretty cool. But personally, yeah, we, we refer to it a little bit earlier, make reels mm. to try to educate people. Um, and you can find that both on TikTok and Instagram. It's Mish Van Essen. Uh, and, That's great. and we'll link all of this in our show notes here. So if people are listening, they could just drop down to the episode notes and we'll make sure that we've got that in there. Yeah. Amazing. Mish, I'm really grateful. Uh, I, I think people picked this up. You, you've been at our church before, which we're, it was really fun to have That's you there. Right. I hope we get to see you again. Yes, um, I hope so too. Yeah. And I'll just say to you and uh, all of our church family, local and long distance, uh, grace and peace.